Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California, now living in beautiful Beijing. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today with us on the show, we have a medical doctor who trained in China, Dr. Lashawn Levy, hailing from Jamaica and a little bit from the U.S. as well. We'll learn about that. She currently lives in Wuhan, China, attended university and earned a medical degree. She makes the rounds in a hospital in Wuhan and simultaneously works as the lead teacher at a prestigious kindergarten in Wuhan as she prepares to move to the U.S. for the next phase of her journey as a medical doctor with the aim of becoming a heart surgeon. Welcome to the show, Dr. Levy. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so I want to, I think before we get started, I think a lot of people would be interested in the Jamaican hyphenated American kind of thing. So where did you grow up? You could tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I mainly grew up in Jamaica. I mm. only visited the U.S. Um, like summers or for vacation, but my education and everything was Jamaican. Mm. So we have family in the U.S. So I got to spend time in New York and in Boston mm. and of course, like parts of Miami. So that's might be where the Jamaican American thing comes from. But mm. I consider my Jamaican. You're Jamaican. So if you had yes. a flag on your wall at home and, you know, during you'd be like, it would be a Jamaican flag. It would definitely be Jamaican. <laughs> <laughs> so you came at, after you finished your bachelor's degree in Jamaica, you came to China to get a medical degree. Is that right? Oh, uh, no, I came straight to China right out of high school. Wow. So you got your yeah. bachelor's degree in China as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the bachelor's in medicine, bachelor's in surgery. Wow. You know, a lot of the people that are listen who listen to our show are very interested in cross-cultural communication, people-to-people mm-hmm. exchanges. And some of our fans who are in America and other places, including Afghanistan and Pakistan and all over the world, they're interested in how they can come to China. Could you tell us a little bit about the process where you were able to come to university in China so that someone out there could maybe follow in your footsteps? Um, the process was mainly a lot of research, but I think the information that I found is now easily available Mm -hmm. on different platforms, like different websites that just collects all information for all the universities here in China. So Mm -hmm. they might, they would definitely have an easier time to find that information. Mm -hmm. For me, I had to go, I did it by a process of elimination. I looked at different medical schools. I looked at the ranking for all the medical schools, the different price points for each city. Wow. So you were doing this with China or with places all over the world. And why did you decide to come to China ultimately? Um, I applied for universities in Russia, Ukraine, and China. Wow. Um, because after high school, I went to university in Jamaica for a year. Mm. Um, but I always wanted to travel, wanted a different um, university experience. So I was like, okay, I'm not in med school, medical school in Jamaica, so let's see what else is out there. Mm. So I did took a year off, did extra exams for like such as the A levels in math and science. So did that. And as during that time, that's when I did my research. So I applied, I got into all the universities and for some reason, I just chose China. I mm. don't really know how to explain <laughs> it. I just chose China. Before we started the show, you were saying that you're not a huge fan of the weather in Wuhan. <laughs> could, oh, you no. t- could you tell me a little bit about that? Um, 
anyone who has lived in Wuhan for any significant period of time will tell you that Wuhan's in a sweater, then I have to take it off because it's super hot. Then uh, some way, some some way down the line, it's going to start raining. You can experience everything in mm. one day. You know, I've heard of that about a lot of places in China that, you know, the weather can be very, can change dramatically very quickly. I mm-hmm. guess there are other places in the world as well. So you are also uh, interested in going to the United States uh, after yeah. this uh, to pursue, continue your pursuit of becoming a heart surgeon. Is that right? Yes. And why do you want to go to the United States and why heart surgery also? I guess that's two different questions. For the U.S., um, one of the main reasons that my mom recently immigrated there. Mm-hmm. So she's living there. So it'd be nice to be closer to her after being a, so far away for so long. Mm-hmm. So um, it would just make it a lot easier having, she would like to have family nearby, mm. like really close. Like she misses us. Yeah. You're from Jamaica. So I'm a little bit curious. And I think our Chinese listeners are. Could you tell us what, what did you know about China before you came to China? What was your impression of China before you came here for the first time? Um, My impression of China was mainly, mainly came from the Chinese community that we do have in Jamaica because mm. we have a very large Chinese community oh, wow. in Jamaica. So, um, of course, you, I went to the high school I went to. I had a lot of like Chinese, like they're Jamaican, but, you know, they're ethnically Chinese classmates. And we mm. had classes at the Chinese Benevolent Association. So we got to learn a little bit about China and its culture. But coming here, it showed me that there was so much we still did not know. Mm. Right. Could you, could you give um, us some like a few examples mm-hmm. of sort of culture shock, not necessarily shock, but things mm-hmm. that you discovered in China that you didn't weren't aware of in Jamaica? Um, just the different, um, I would say the, the, the variety in the language, because, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you are exposed to like standard Mandarin. Yeah. <laughs> but coming here, you're learning Wuhan Hua. I was like, what? You're saying something and I have no <laughs> idea what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So um, the language, uh, the food definitely surprised me a lot. Mm-hmm. Can you tell <laughs> because, more about that? <laughs> yeah, because we have what I call or what most people call like Jamaican Chinese food. And we have a clear image of that oh, in wow. mind. Your sweet and sour chicken, like your um, chop suey. Well, that sounds like American Chinese. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's just like we all have that idea of what Chinese food should be. Come in here and I was not able to mm. find anything. I was like, <laughs> what, what? so going around, especially in. Where's the lemon in, chicken? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going around in the university, especially when I had to eat from the canteen and just like we're looking at all these characters on the board and I'm like, I think I'm going to try that thing. You know? <laughs> You're listening to The Bridge. Wuhan is famous for a food called Ruga Mian. Then when I came back, I didn't even know what that was until I moved to Wuhan, where I met you. When I moved back to Beijing, every time I meet anyone and they're like, oh, Wuhan, Ruga Mian. It's like the first thing that comes into their mind. Are you a big fan of hot, dry noodles? I am. I am. I really am. But it also depends on where you get it. Not mm. everyone makes it right. Yeah. That day. Mm. I'm a huge, I, I have to say, I love Wuhan. I'm happy to talk to someone who's currently in Wuhan. It makes me feel connected to that 
that city again. I was saying before the show that I, I really want to move back there someday. And when mm-hmm. you said that you dislike the weather so much that yeah, I guess you you don't want to live there. Is that is it, am, I, am I misunderstanding? Um, well, I've been here for eleven years, so wow. something. <laughs> wow. So have you traveled to other cities in China uh, also? Oh yeah, I definitely. I recently just came back from Shanghai, wow. so I've been all over. I've been to Chengdu. I've been to Changsha. I've been to Guangzhou. I've been to Shenzhen. I've been to Beijing. I've been to Chongqing. I've been to a few other Nanjing. I've been to the list. There's a list. (laughs) Well, could you tell us like maybe one or two places that you were outstandingly blown away by and that if you could live there that you would? Um, (laughs) that has, if I could live there, maybe Xi'an. Xi'an. I was, I thought you were going to say Shanghai. I guess I I misread you. You're not as bougie as I thought. I am, but no. (laughs) I would say Xi'an. I really like the layout of the city. And especially because um, where I stayed, I stayed on the outskirts of mm. Xi'an, which it was just so peaceful. Wow. And it was quite nice. I mean, I love driving into city, the city for the nightlife yeah. aspect of it, but I really enjoyed the outskirts of Xi'an. You know, what I've noticed is when I first moved to Wuhan, it was my first time mm-hmm. living in another city other than Beijing. And I noticed that there was a light show every night, I guess yeah. from about seven to about nine or so where mm-hmm. the, all the buildings light up can see the lights dancing on the river so it's like you're inside this huge light show and there's thousands of people walking up and down the riverbanks i thought it was so beautiful and since i've moved back i've learned that wuhan is not the only city that does that that there's like yeah. the changsha and Chongqing and all these other cities also have elaborate nightly light shows where all the buildings light up but i have to say that being my first experience and it being wuhan really like magnetized me permanently to Wuhan. <clears throat> Huge fan. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about school life. What is it like going attending u- university and what is it like attending university as a foreigner in China? Could you tell us about that experience for people who might be considering that option? It's definitely a very unique experience because you are not only surrounded by locals, but the, mm-hmm. the locals, they are from, they're not from Wuhan. Mm-hmm. They're from different cities all over China, mm-hmm. right? And this is so we're all just experiencing this university for the first time, mm. right? Here, I also met people from different cultures, um, different countries. Like, I had my Singaporean friends, I had my Thai friends, mm. I had <clears throat> my West African friends, Central African friends, I had um, British, I had American friends. You have a lot so, of friends. <laughs> well, I, was, I call them friends because we all um, experienced this unique experience here. Yeah. So like we all bonded from that. So um, it was quite interesting, and I definitely appreciate it. Appreciate be coming here because like there were moments I was like, why did I do this? This was the worst decision in my life. But then I'm like, oh wow, this is really good. I would not have been able to uh, be as a little more cultured hmm. as I am now if I did not yeah. come to university here in China. Again, mm-hmm. I think some of the obvious questions are: Are were your assignments? in English or were they in Chinese? Ah, so one of the things um, that a lot of the like higher level universities, mm-hmm. higher ranking universities in China offer, they offer an English level program mm. and a Chinese. So if for the Chinese, you would do one year of full Chinese and then everything else would be in Chinese, mm-hmm. right? And then for English, you everything is in English, but you still have to learn Chinese as part of one, of, as a class in your program. So you you take English courses 
that are mm-hmm. in, about medical science or, or yes. science in, in English. And then you it, also take classes on learning Chinese as you progress through school. Yes. So we do basic Chinese and then we move on to medical Chinese. Ooh, wow. Medical Chinese. Wow. Yeah. That, that would make going to the, the pharmacy a lot <laughs> more convenient because I go in there and I'm just like, oh, God, it's just colorful boxes, right? <laughs> Then I'm like, I have to point at various parts of myself inside the pharmacy and be like, ow, ow. (laughs) They're like, maybe this one. And then you scan it to see what it says. No, no, I don't have whatever this disease is. (laughs) Well, I guess it helps to go to a doctor uh, first. So could you tell us about your life in Wuhan? Like, I guess you, you know, you've been there 11 years. So could you tell Mm -hmm. us about like, what is it like living as a foreigner in Wuhan? And what is it like living uh, as a foreigner in China? Um, I would divide my life in Wuhan into two separate parts because what half was when I was a student, which is very different from me working like full time now, mm-hmm. right? As a student, you, of course, you did student like things. You went, there's certain areas that were just mainly student centered because they're more affordable, right? You had a better sense of community because mm-hmm. like everyone, you knew everything because um, Wuhan has a lot of universities. So mm-hmm. you were connected with most of the foreign community because most Mm -hmm. of the foreign community in Wuhan are filled with students. Mm. So there were a lot, a lot more activities like dorm parties, like um, picnics, um, mm. going to the park together as a large foreign group, right? Um, cross co- um, English corners, which I really did enjoy because I got to meet a lot of Chinese students who were also in different programs and we could could have a really good conversation, mm. telling me things like, oh, we should go here for tea. I'm like, okay, sure, right? Mm. So I was definitely more curious as a student. And now um, it's definitely different because one, I've been here for so long and I have, I would say, access to different areas. Like now my, the group that I hang around, they're professionals, mm-hmm. right? I hardly speak to students as much as I did, mm-hmm. right? Or so the activities that we now plan are quite different and it's rare and few in between because most people are quite busy. So I most times I'm by myself. So I don't really feel as connected to the foreign community now that I'm working. I see. Wow. That's very interesting. You are someone who likes to go out in the town, if I remember correctly. So you do make it out <laughs> now to like, uh, I would say the word club is right. Yes. some At least sometimes. <laughs> once in a while, not as frequently as I did as a student. <laughs> wow. But yeah, once in a while. You're listening to The Bridge. You studied medicine in China, and everyone knows in China that China is a huge... Chinese folks are huge fans of traditional Chinese medicine, as are people in Los Angeles and around the world even. Could you tell us, was that part of your program? You learned, I would say, the word modern science and modern Mm -hmm. uh, medicine, but you also learned traditional Chinese medicine as well. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. That was part of one of our electives, and that's the one I chose to take because I was being here. um, I was 
was very interested in alternative ways of healing. Because mm, wow. even though, and I and I think it definitely um, affected just my general thinking now as a doctor, because I don't immediately go for, you would say, Western medicine. Because mm. I'm like, it's great, but then have you tried this? <laughs> right. We could cut you right. open or we or- could give you this tea. <laughs> you want to try the tea exactly. first, maybe? <laughs> right. Because I remember um, I was having severe pain at the base of my um, skull. And mm. I went wow. to acupuncture and it worked wonders. Wow. I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> so it, I got more into it and I studied a bit more looking at the different teas and just going to university and having access to um, doctors who have so much years of experience mm. in that field was really good. You know, I had a similar experience where I cracked a disc in my cervical spine, part of my spine. I'm not sure if I'm mm-hmm. saying that right. And uh, I went to a Western doctor in Wuhan and the gentleman said, well, you need to have surgery like right away and there's no alternative. And so I was actually fraught by this. I was like almost going to cry. I think I may have <laughs> cried. I don't remember exactly. But then my wife was, let's, let's go to this, you know, Wuhan has one of the best traditional Chinese medicine hospitals in the world. Let's mm-hmm. go there. So I was like, okay, I went there and they gave me traditional Chinese medicine treatments and <clears throat> Western medicine. They gave yeah. me a steroid injection into this little, I don't know what it's called. It's where the disc has slipped out. And the combination of all of this, and you know, I don't know what actually fixed it, but I'm okay now. And I don't mm-hmm. did not need to have this really invasive surgery where they wanted to basically open my neck up to like get in there and do stuff. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful that there was this alternative that, you know, it's been a year since that happened and I'm still okay. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to be okay at least for a while. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it'll come back when I'm elderly or something. But for at least the time being, I don't have to have any really invasive, crazy surgery. And so I'm really grateful personally for that. Could you tell uh, what is traditional Chinese medicine? Because there's a lot of different types of it. There's like uh, herbs and then there's also acupuncture. And what else is there? For traditional Chinese medicine? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of varieties of traditional Chinese medicine kind of like are the like the big pillars of what comprises it? I would say like um, it would range from, as you said, the herbs to the acupuncture side of it. It also can consist of um, salves or bombs using fire to balance your... the Oh, like cupping. Balance. Yeah, like fire cupping. Did you do that? I did one time, but it was it came with a different unpleasant experience at the end of it. But the cupping part seemed fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's all just using different methods just to balance that yin-yang, the chi, the chi as we'd say. If anyone has done it, um, more traditional Chinese massages. Mm. Those are very different from like a Thai massage or Western type massage, mm-hmm. right? To help alleviate a wide range of symptoms. So they they tend to use the basic um, elements such as like wood and fire, earth, metal and water, all wow. used in different ways to heal all parts of our bodies. Wow. That, that sounds really mystic to me. <laughs> okay. So I want to ask you a different question. You were, mm-hmm. you lived in Wuhan for a long time, but yeah. you also lived in Wuhan at the height of the discovery of COVID-19. <laughs> so could you, yes. what was life like as a foreigner? What was life like? You, you know, you were also contacts in the medical 
medical community. Could you tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit about maybe how the medical community was responding, all that kind of thing? Okay. Um, When we first heard about it, it was, I was supposed to travel then. They're like, oh, don't travel. Then I woke up and there was this, the day I was traveling, Wuhan shut down. That's when we were closed. I was like, Mm. okay, cool. I was fine with it because I'm like, I have food at home. I'm good. So we were closed, checked my phone, um, different messages like in the professional group or the hospital. Like, okay, this is what's happening. But in the beginning, no one knew what to do. Hmm. No one knew what the proper response like. Um, my coworkers at the time who were outside of Wuhan, mm-hmm. right? Or who were not in their home because a lot of their communities got shut down immediately, mm-hmm. who were not in their homes, they who were on call at the hospital. They were like, mm-hmm. okay, can I go home? What are we supposed to do? There were a lot of things that we just could not answer at, mm-hmm. in the beginning. But as time progressed, um, we got more organized and like, okay, who lives the closest to the hospital could easily go in hmm. to offer assistance. If you didn't, how could you help within your own community? Mm-hmm. And being connected with your community manager um, who who organized different volunteer groups definitely helped to keep things more organized and to help everyone through it. Um, for me, I tried to help as much as possible, like within mainly within my building because um, buildings in, within my community were really, they were closed for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to help within my building. Like the, there are a few elderly, like if they could not, if there wasn't a volunteer available, tried to help. Um, I had access to a wide range of, I mean, a larger supply of like water and things. I'm like, okay, I don't need, I'm, I live by myself. So I'm like, okay, I don't need this. I messaged my community manager like, hey, I have a whole bunch of these eggs and water. Does anyone need, right? Like, okay, here you go. So I appreciated um, where I lived at the time because I felt like everyone could pitch in where they could. Mm. to help get through the time. Mm. How long was the actual lo- because when I was in Beijing we locked down <laughs> it was probably I don't know 6 weeks where it was mm. or maybe 4 to 6 weeks where it was fully locked down and where I was and then it was like you can go out for you know very good reasons and then it was like a couple weeks later it was like okay you can go out as long as you ha- you have a negative code and then that and then it was like open to people who were getting tested regularly mm-hmm. that, so slowly opening up how long was the lockdown in Wuhan 76 days I think it was Wow. So that's three months. Yeah. Yeah. Almost three months. Yeah. So two and a half, three months, it was pretty much complete lockdown until they had systems in place for Mm -hmm. dealing with everything and people were getting Mm -hmm. tested regularly. So how how often, because in Beijing, I think we were tested, we were not tested every day. We were tested about once a week or twice a week sometimes. What were the, what was the testing like? Um, The testing went okay, but it was a bit slow for foreigners, I would say, because we did not get our code that we would need to scan uh, until yeah. right so um when i like and then i think foreigners also we took the longest to like really get come out into like when everything's when we when everything was finally open and testing was now more regulated like we had to be tested to go outside mm-hmm. right or to take any form of public transport right um so after getting the code and then having when we go to the testing centers not everyone is used to 
like long foreign names. I had that complaint so many times. <laughs> oh, your name's so long. Yeah. I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> right. So, um, but I, people were patient. I would say people were patient and like, we took the time and like, okay, we're all here together. So I was able to get what I needed to do to go outside, but it took me a while to go outside because I was like, yeah, no, I didn't need to. So I didn't go outside. So that was like, you're like, yay, I'm home. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. You're listening to The Bridge. Okay, so I want to go back to university a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, because again, I think for myself and for the people I talk to, uh, the question is constantly coming up about moving to China. So you moved to China, like a lot of people, they don't move from mom's hometown. So that's kind of a huge jump. Do you think that uh, you were especially well adapted to it because you were able to survive for so long in an, a country on the other side of the world? And, and for people who are considering moving to another country, whether it be China or somewhere else, what kind of advice would you give them about making such a huge jump? Um, I was very well adapted to it because I was always like, I'm the oldest of three girls. And mm. so I was always very responsible. And I learned at an early age that uh, anything, I, I could do anything by myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So moving to so far, I, although it was scary, I was very open to the adventure and I knew the challenges that I might face. The main one, obviously language. I mm -hmm. did not speak any Chinese, but I I was like, okay, care is what we're going to do. Um, I organized everything as much as possible. So knowing the culture, doing your own research before you move somewhere definitely helps me, I think. Mm. So for people who are going to move, you would recommend that they learn some basic Chinese minimum. Basic Chinese, yeah. So they, they should know a few hundred words. Yeah. Or just like, if you don't, have it written down because that's one of the things I had. When I first came, I had, had to make sure my university address was written down the contact number and the person I had printed. I didn't rely on my phone because of course, at the time I moved, it wasn't so easy to access like um, Wi-Fi. Yeah. Right. Especially Did... now in Wuhan, it's a lot easier. But when I first came to Wuhan, it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> Did when you arrived as a student going to university, were there people there to help you do things like figure out how to pay the power or set up your Wi-Fi or I don't know. Um, gosh, what are the kind of things? Pay your water bill or that kind of thing internet your student card your id yeah did you have to figure this out by yourself or did you have like some person a friend that you made or like someone set up by the university to kind of guide you um i had to figure most of it out because <laughs> <laughs> like there were a lot of mistakes that were made like go to this room and like oh, no you're not supposed to be here no 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 and like sometimes uh, <laughs> at the time the person who's in that room they speak no english they just like look at you like no 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 and that's all you understand okay i understand <laughs> so <I> go back. <laughs> right but eventually um i would say i must i'm very grateful to the nepali community because they were the first ones um first group of foreigners that i met and they're like okay hey if you want to get something this is what you would do right yeah. yeah so they really helped out eventually and they were helpful in connecting me to the caribbean community here in wuhan so after meeting um people from the caribbean they also helped out so that it, initial thing was challenging, but everyone knows everyone when you're a student, so they can connect you to who will be most helpful. Okay, so the Nepali community helped you out quite a bit. Have you become interested in maybe going and visiting Nepal now as a consequence of, because you, you mentioned earlier in the beginning of the show, meeting mm -hmm.
meeting people from all over the world from, you know, and you listed a dozen countries where you made friends from those mm-hmm. countries. This sounds like maybe the Nepali folks were some of the more, you know, helpful and kind folks that you met immediately. It, has this increased your interest in traveling to countries uh, where from where you have made friends? Um, Yes, it definitely did. Um, Because like one of my um favorite memories of being in university would be Culture Day. Mm-hmm. So uh, Wuhan University did this really amazing Culture Day where everyone got a booth. So you had the each booth was decorated. You wore your traditional clothing. You cooked your wow. traditional food and you just walked around with like we got like these passports and you go around and just get stamps from all these countries. Wow. And so just learning and seeing all of the cultures that makes to make the foreign community at Wuhan University. That was great. So it definitely piqued my interest because I got to learn about different things like, oh, you do that? Whoa, wow. I did not know that's where that was. Right. So I got to really, I would say I got to really experience multiple cultures without traveling. Well, that's that sounds romantic even. Uh, you know, your university, uh, Wuhan University, is famous even in China for its uh, cherry blossoms. Oh, Could, yes. I've never actually, because when I went, it was like 2022-ish, and it was yeah. still closed off. I've never actually been able to go see it. Could you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about why it's so resplendent? I think it would be, it's because like the way it covers the mountain, mm. right? Because like if anyone who has been to Wuhan University, there's a lot of walking uphill. Mm. So that pathway and the way they, the placement of the trees and just like co- um, the contrast with the very traditional buildings, especially near the library, mm. it's very picturesque. So that's during that time, everyone knows you do not go to the school. You don't go down to that area because it's just filled with tourists. <laughs> you just don't. And you can get yourself a nice camera and become part of one of the tourists, I guess. Well, we have, but you've done it one year, second year, third year. Ah, you don't need to do it another time. Mm. You're listening to The Bridge. I attend a university in the United States that it is very, very expensive. Could you tell us, was uh, attending university in China like expensive or was it affordable? Uh, were there payments? Were there loans? Were there grants? Could you tell us a little bit about finance and what it is like as a foreigner, especially attending university there? Um, it is quite affordable for, I would say for most people, depending on the exchange rate, mm. right? Um, I was a self-paid, so like, within my class there are students who came on full scholarship students who paid half students who got a special package because of just the number of students coming from that country wow so if you're from a special country like sudan and they're like oh we need more sudanese students they'll that you might just be able to go for free yeah so for me it was the indians (laughs) they got a really what they were paying was really a lot lower than what i was paying at the time wow that's great so yeah if, if so, if for our listeners who are like from Kazakhstan, they might be like, yeah, this is the perfect opportunity to come to university in China because maybe there's less people from Kazakhstan coming and they might have a, a very low bill for attending university. Yes. Are there grants available too? There are different types of scholarships um, available depending on their like academic mm-hmm. scholarships, mm-hmm. of course, but that's when it also depends if you, your family cannot pay. 
pay. Mm, mm, mm. So there are need-based scholarships and there are um, academic-based scholarships. There are also scholarships that just um, would give you just for your general everyday life yeah. in university. So you don't have to pay for food, you don't have to pay for room and board, anything like that. And you stayed in a dorm? And so that's yes, part of the, the whole bill or is it a separate yes. bill? Yes, um, it was part of the whole bill. I think a lot of people, you know, I get this message. I get a lot of people on my Twitter account asking me all the time, how do I come to China? How do I come to China? And then some of the time they'll say, oh, I don't have a bachelor's degree. So my recommendation usually to them is, so come for a bachelor's degree. Yeah. So is that a realistic thing? For, what if? What about this? What about aging out? See, in the United States, you can mm -hmm. attend university if you're 25. It doesn't matter. You can start at a junior college and work your way back into the system kind of thing. If you're mm -hmm. if you've aged out of university, you're not 17, 18 years any old anymore. Is it still possible to attend university in China? Um, each program has and each university have their own age limits. Mm -hmm. um, I know for Chinese language, if you wanted to study that, there is an age limit for that. Wow. Um, and it changes yearly. So it would be best just to check up on that. Um, for bachelors, it's the same, right? They're mm -hmm. like, OK, wait, no, you can't. You're too old <laughs> for this. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean, actually, I've I've looked at PhD programs in China myself, and I've seen that there are some of them that are like, if you're over 45, sorry, and, uh, yeah. it makes sense to me. I mean, if I spend the next 10 years and getting a PhD, right, then I graduate and I'm 55 and retirement for men in China is 60. It doesn't make a lot of sense for me to have yeah. a, such a valuable degree. So, I mean, I guess that there are pragmatic sociological reasons why, you know, or civilizational reasons why it, you should be a little bit younger. But I'm just wondering for some of uh, some of the people who are maybe still in their 20s, it's probably reasonable and realistic for at least some mm -hmm. of the programs out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about in terms of like, okay, in, for example, you attended a one year of university in Jamaica. So mm -hmm. um, there are different kinds of programs around the world. There are quarter-based systems, there are uh, semester-based systems. Is is Was the university in Wuhan, how was it structured? What was going to class? Like how many classes did you take at a time? That kind of thing. Um, in Wuhan, it is semester-based, hmm. right? So we would have the what summer split in summer winter, where summer or spring. I went to on average. I had classes every day from Monday to Friday. Sometimes on Saturdays, mm -hmm. so five to six days a week. Um, each day I probably had I would say six classes. Wow. Each an hour long. Sometimes they're for two hours. And of course we're in China, so we all had that lunch break from twelve to two. Twelve to two. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, in terms of like making friends with Chinese folks, sharing notes and things in classes, because you're taking English classes, are there any Chinese students in those English classes? No. So it's all foreigners, the Nepalese and British people and Jamaicans. Yeah. And... Well, I would say only the, the chi only Chinese would probably be from Singapore. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. So foreigners who are also maybe ethnically Chinese, Malaysia, Singapore, yeah. that kind of thing. Yes. Well, that's interesting. So were people cooperative and like they formed study groups like you would expect in other, in, uh, other places? around the world as well? Uh, most people stuck to their <laughs> own region, I would say. Oh, so the Singaporeans are like, we're the Singaporean study group. Singaporean. Sorry, you yeah. can't join us. You're going to have to join the Cubans because you're from Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, but actually I could get in on the Singaporeans because we had that weird, like random English thing going on yeah. with each other. Oh, so, okay. So it was language barrier. So the French, yeah. cool, there was the French, <laughs> oh, you can't have my notes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Right. You, yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's it's a program in English, but people from various linguistic groups from yes. all over the world. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So you're like in the UN for your for your studies. That's fast, really fascinating. <laughs> it felt that way at times. Yeah, I found I almost regret going to university in America now. I wish I'd gone abroad. But you know, I did I have lived abroad. It's like living in China, a lot of the time we gravitate have a tendency towards gravitating towards expat bubbles. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes would you say that now that you're out you've been out of university for a while that a lot of your friends are from Jamaica now? No, actually that number has decreased. When I was in university, most more of my friends were from Jamaica or the Caribbean hmm. or like people I would hang out with or go to the club with. Yeah. Uh, but now my friend group tends to be quite mixed. I have a lot of French friends mm-hmm. now. I have a lot of people from um, Southern South Africa. Mm-hmm. I have more British friends. I So I have a different mix right now. Mm-hmm. And you were the first person who pointed it out to me while I was living in Wuhan is that there is a lot of French in Wuhan. Like a lot of the signage is even instead of being in Chinese and then English, it's in Chinese and then French in French. some some parts of Wuhan anyway. Any idea why that is? When I was in university, um, the school, the hospital that was connected, one of the hospitals that were connected to my school, they just explained it that they just have a very close relationship. That's hmm. how it was explained to me. Like, oh, we just have a very <laughs> close relationship. Hmm. I was like, okay, which means what? I, I was wondering that too, and I don't know the answer, but there is a um, colonial quarter in mm-hmm. Wuhan. But when I went into the museum, it looked British. So I was like, mm, I expected French. So it's very confusing because the apparently the British were a heavy uh, presence in the colonial period in, mm-hmm. in Wuhan. So I felt a little strange that there wasn't more French presence, given that there's a lot of French contemporary presence in Wuhan. Anyways, um, I would like to ask, what do you think about people's perception of China? Because not just in, in Jamaica, but you know, you've traveled extensively versus what is China really like? Is there a disconnect there? How would you describe what life is actually like versus maybe how sometimes it gets represented in the media? Um, there is a disconnect. I think that gap is narrowing as we progress, right? Mm-hmm. But there is still a disconnect. Even when I speak to like friends from home, they're like, oh, well, what about this in China? I'm like, no, I am. It's very, it, it's and hard every, to get everyone them. Everyone doesn't do that. Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, a lot of people that I meet here, what about, but you, how do you understand? I'm like, you you adapt, you learn the language just like with mm-hmm. any anywhere else. If you go to France, don't you have to also speak a little French? I'm sure that the French will be offended if you don't speak a little French. Exactly. <laughs> Right. But I'm getting um, understanding others to see how comfortable or how really how safe my life is here mm-hmm. and how just the level of convenience that I experience here. Well, could you allow, let's let's take some of those in turn. Okay. Let's take safety. I'm not sure what its life is mm-hmm. like in Jamaica. Maybe it's one of the safest places in the world. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm from San Francisco and I've had cars stolen. I've been robbed at gunpoint. Yeah. It's been you know, I've never experienced anything like that in Beijing. So when mm-hmm. you say safety what do you mean i can walk outside my apartment as a single <laughs> woman oh. at 3 a.m and i'm okay yeah so you, you don't you don't walk down a dark alley and think oh god what is someone's hiding around the corner uh well you I probably wouldn't walk down a dark alley <laughs> but like how 
well-lit street, okay, I, would, I would have no qualms about walking outside or leaving my house to go somewhere. Mm. Especially like if I have to take uh, Didi. The, I, I will definitely miss Didi because there's a safety feature where they call me and ask, like, are you okay? Really? Uh, yes. I've never had them call me. <laughs> Under what circumstances? Like after you get home kind of thing? Yeah. If they you click a, a tab and it gives us extra safety feature. I didn't know that. Well, it's not even an extra safety feature. Like, um, usually on Didi, you'll see a little thing that says yes or no. Are you okay? Did the driver bear off? Is he still following the same? Um, oh. He following the GPS? I'm like, yes. But even then, they'll call me as soon as I get out of the cab. Like, hey, have you arrived at your location safely? Is there? Are you safe? Yes. You say you say Antren safe, and they're like, okay, great. great. I've seen a different thing where when I'm waiting for the car, it says, have you been drinking? <laughs> like, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and like, uh, no, I haven't. But what if you? I'm assuming I I. I don't. I don't drink. I think you remember that. But um, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things I always felt was if you were drunk, you firstly, if, if you wanted to lie, you could just be like, no, I'm not drunk. Not and, drunk. and all secondly, could you even push the button that says no? Says- <laughs> like, well, like, <laughs> seems like a strange feature to me. OK, let's see. You're listening to The Bridge. You also mentioned in terms of your life in China language. So is your Chinese pretty good? I would say I will answer like a Chinese. No, no, no. It's just okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, I see. You're being modest. Oh, like. yeah. The Chinese modesty. Oh, no, I'm not good at that. And then it turns out like they're the best person in the community or whatever. <laughs> no, no. But I would say still no, because there's just so many characters and I'm still learning more. I was like, wait, what? And the new phrasing of everything. And I'm like, wait, what? That, that means what? <laughs> I was like, okay. So I'm just saying, okay. But as I always say, my written Chinese, I can read a lot better than I speak. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Most people can, cannot read very well. That's Most people can <laughs> speak and listen. That's the first thing that they learn. Yeah. And then for some reason, most foreigners, like, I don't 90% don't learn to read and write very well at all. <laughs> and so the fact that you can read well better than you can speak, that's quite <laughs> yeah. quite something, actually. You know, what I see what I see as, as, a, as a failed to learn yet reading person in China is I look up and I see menus or, or, or newspaper articles and I see mm-hmm. in that sentence like I can count three characters I know that doesn't give me any idea what it means what? at all whatever <laughs> whatsoever but like I haha, I counted out of these ten words three of those I three know. of them yeah <laughs> and then I, I'm like yeah personal victory that's more than the two yesterday <laughs> <laughs> that was me on the bus I would spend hours just like riding the bus in the summer because it had AC um, <laughs> from one end to the yeah, other. Wuhan is hot in the summer. That's famous for hot. <laughs> and it was just better just to be outside to get the free AC from the bus. Mm. So we just ride around <laughs> and I just spend time looking at all the characters and then hearing um the announcer and also reading the characters at the same time helps me to identify a lot more. Yeah, I've done that on the subway because they say, you know, which subway they're approaching and they mm-hmm. pronounce it like robotically, you know, it's like a one of those automated systems. And you can look at the characters as they're saying it. So you can remember what the the verbalization that accompanies the symbol is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, COVID is gone and it's been, I guess, gone for a while now. Can you tell us about how uh, Wuhan has trans- 
reformed itself. Uh, is it back to life as normal in 2019? Are there adjustments and changes? Or w- could you describe it for us? Like, how would you put it? It's like nothing happened. It's like nothing happened. Well, I'm like guessing in 2019, like 0.1% of people were wearing masks. And yeah. na- and now? No, it's no? like nothing happened. Very few, unless you're going to the hospital, even at the hospital, you don't need to. The number of people that you see, okay, after the ma- no mask mandates went into effect, people were still wearing masks. You're like, okay, cool. Yeah, good but for you. Now, <laughs> yeah, coming back, um, I was like, wait, there's no one wearing masks like, yeah. at all. I'm in the train station, no masks. I'm like, so we're just like, nothing happened. Yeah, I thought right? I, had that, I had that experience a little bit too. In Beijing, they're still wearing masks. I would say it's about 5% of people. But I went to Jiangxi province a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and I got there and I was wearing a mask and no one was wearing a mask except yeah. the people that came with me from Beijing. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, I guess Beijing's a little more strict or whatever. But like in Jiangxi, it was just like, we don't have to wear masks. We're not wearing them. <laughs> wow. It's similar. Like it's good because like um, there are moments when I don't want to wear a mask. Mm. So I have the freedom without getting like a second look like, why are you not wearing a mask? Because like everyone no now knows yeah. we don't have to. So it's a lot more freedom. Um, I still wear ones when like if I have a, like a slight cough, like a tickle in my throat, I'm like, let me just put one on. Yeah. You know, but, I was thinking about that, too. I was thinking mm-hmm. like if I hear someone coughing like or, or I could tell that they're sick near me, I might. Yeah. I, I don't I don't assume that it's COVID. I assume it's the flu or something. But I'm like, oh, yeah. you know what? I happen to have a mask in my pocket. I could probably decrease the probability of getting that flu. Right. Yeah, now. that's what that's exactly my thinking. And like if I get the flu, I, oh, I have a question. Did you get happen to get sick, Jason? Uh, oh, did I get COVID? Yeah. Yeah. In December, I guess around the 8th or 9th, I, it was like the same as time as everyone in Beijing. Everyone oh. in Beijing all got it roughly at the exact same time. It was serious. Like every, there's just like the whole city was just like turned off. And then like a week or two later, everything was just back on and everyone was okay again because I had three shots. So when I got mm-hmm. it, it was just like, it was like being sick with the flu for a few days. I wasn't, oh, okay. wasn't really severe. I don't think that most people got really severe COVID because China was one of the most well-vaccinated countries in the world. Yeah, I somehow managed to dodge it. I did. You didn't get it at all. Still haven't gotten it, and I'm very thankful for that. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's amazing. Are you? Maybe you just got it and didn't notice. No, I got nothing. Yeah, but you <laughs> could. You know, you could be one of those cases where I you could, get I it. Could have been symptomatic. Yeah, exactly, and just be like, okay, I'm fine. Ha ha ha. Oh, <laughs> you know, do you feel a little tired today? Go to go to bed. Next day, you're fine. You know, kind of thing. You know, maybe just have a super immune system or something. I but I tested my. I got a kit because like they're just same time period where everyone in Beijing, like everyone just got it at the same time. I got the test because I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure I don't want to make anyone sick. Right, I tested, right, right. oh, you're okay. So it's in my head. Okay, cool. Huh. <laughs> Could be, you know, sometimes there are a small percentage of tests that don't, it, you know, I think I wanted to ask you a different question. So mm-hmm. you are on your way to the United States in the next, I don't yes. know, year or two. Mm-hmm. So um, are there places in China that you haven't yet been that you always wanted to go that maybe you won't be able to go this time? Yes. Where are the places that you would go if you could, if you could just have a magical door and open it right now and it could be anywhere in China you know what are the two or three places you would go to it with that magical door uh Guilin Dali yeah. um Parsha Yantro. um I would love to go further up north like near Tibet hmm. 
Um, yeah, that's just off the top of my head. Yeah. Like, there's a list. I still have a list on my phone. You've got, you named some of mine. Yeah, Dolly and Guilin. I've always <laughs> wanted to go to both of those places really intensely. And my wife has been to Dolly. So you are going to go and move to the United States and you're going to pursue a medical degree there, another degree? Or how does um, that work? I will be continuing. I'll be um, starting a residency program. Residency. So that yeah. means like doing rounds and, and following uh, people who have like had 20 years experience. Yes. And then you diagnose and then they laugh at you and then they re-diagnose the right? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just watching. I'm thinking of the TV shows. Yes. That the I've trauma. Seen. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of ER. So, so you basically, you try to be as good at being a doctor as you can. And then you have someone say, well, you know, that might not be this. It could be that. You need this other mm-hmm. test, that kind of thing and to determine. Yeah. That's So this is a, a, a normal part of the medical process everywhere in the world yes. where you learn from seasoned professionals who have seen thousands more times of different kinds of cases and whatnot. But you want to be a heart surgeon (laughs) and that's very specific, right? So do you need additional training before you get to that? I do. After I've I've finished my residency program, I can um, then specialize. So that's like a few more years until I'm officially, officially a doctor. So you actually want to cut people open and look at their... Oh my gosh. I'm glad there are people like you. Go ahead. Go ahead. We um during my internship year um at the hospitals here, I had a really great supervisor um that I got to experience and like I got to hold tools. I was doing nothing except holding a tool. Yeah, I was just like, this is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> when you were a little girl, what kind of things like uh you know led you to thinking about you know wanting to help people or wanting to deal with uh I don't know internal body part there's something that happened different to you than regular folks <laughs> i don't think so i was i one of the ways i would describe my childhood i was an inside child mm-hmm. um meaning i didn't go outside i didn't play <laughs> like that i was always inside with books uh. right and a lot of my mom always believed we should all have educational toys so yeah. i never got a doll or anything like that so everything was very, I got a lot of logic based toys. Hmm. I love to do puzzles, figuring how things work, the right placements of everything. Right. Right. So, so when you that, th- like this centrifugal valve, I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> like, isn't right. I need to make the shape more like, that. I don't know. <laughs> this and like, how can I do that? I step by step breaking things down in order to build it, build them up. So it helps me with how I plan different parts of my life. Like if I'm going, on a trip that's just how i break everything down step by step that's the easiest way to do this wow so i'm not as i'm the opposite i'm like (laughs) let's throw some things in the bag do i have underwear yeah let's go and then on the train i'll be like looking at trip advisor what's here (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i'm not as rigid as i might sound like if i'm on a trip i there's time to relax i don't have to go on that uh don't need to see that at that specific time but i need to have an idea of what's there and what's available. I had to have some sort of plan Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, make my trip worthwhile. I mean, at some point you had to decide on a major and you were like, French philosophy, no. No. Heart heart surgery, yes. At what point in your life did you actually make the decision that you wanted to be a medical doctor?
doctor? Huh. I would say it would. It happened around primary school. My grandfather at the time, he wasn't in the best of health. And he was like my mm-hmm. one connection to my father. So seeing him go through a lot of the challenges he did with doctors, I was like, okay, I could do what they are doing. And how could I make this experience better for someone else? And wow. their your love of wanting to become a medical doctor grew from your love of your family and wanting to help people. That's actually mm-hmm. probably the best way to go into it as opposed to like, I want cha-ching. <laughs> Although, you know, cha-ching could be part of it, I guess. Help. Yeah. Helping people is probably the best way. Uh, you know, thank you so much for joining the program, LaShawn Levy. It was so great to have you and your insights about China and attending university and Wuhan and everything else. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys. If you want to hear more of The Bridge, please tune in next time. You can email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. See you next time. Thank you.